Hello and welcome to the Collecting Heroes podcast. My name is JD. I am the collector of collectors. And this is the podcast where I interview collectors from around the world, specifically pop culture collectors. And today's guest is Justin McNamara, who I actually met in person um, and astonishingly just happened to be talking about the podcast. And he told me very casually that he has 20,000 comics. So I thought he would be a really interesting guest to have on. Justin, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as I just mentioned, 20,000 comics. How did this happen? Like, the, So the, the thing I always try and do with the, these podcasts when I start is I try and sort of get the story of how people come to love either the franchise that they collect within or a character that they collect. How did your love of comics or, you know, your collection begin? Well, I mean, basically what it comes to 20,000 sounds like an impressive number when you're perhaps 20. I'm 52. Mm -hmm. So I have been collecting since about 1973 or 74. Um, so got my first comic when I was four or five. Um, I don't still have that one, unfortunately, because it was Iron Man number 63. Um, maybe even earlier than that. I'm not sure the exact number. Okay. But um, it, this has not been something that I've I've done over the past couple of years. This is this is a lifetime collection. This is 45 years of of uh, buying funny books and squirreling them away. Nice, nice. Uh, funny books. Is that sort of how? they were viewed when you started collecting as a kid? Would you say that, uh, you know, as you got older, you came to a point where you're like, maybe I don't collect these anymore, or did that never happen? You're just like, you've always loved them and you've collected them, like, ever since. So so it's it's an interesting thing as a kid. So, so in the 70s as a kid, it was something that was just always there. My parents um, found it a good way to get, me as a child to read yeah. um because there's nothing easier than looking at a picture that's got that's got words attached to it yeah um and in in those days i was reading you know archie and some marvel and some batman stuff like that other dc stuff um and uh also believe it once a month my dad would buy me a copy of famous monsters of Filmland, so i always had sort of monster magazines around me as well which sort of led to a love of monster comics too uh, in the 80s, as I got a little bit older, I realised that there was a... The more comics you had, the less girls were interested in you. <laughs> so I didn't talk about my comic collection so I could get girls to be interested in me. Um, so so it, it was like a difficult balance. Um, in, in the 90s, um, honestly, that was where my interest in comics waned a fair bit. Uh, I found that the comic industry in the early '90s collapsed under its under its own weight, and there was a period there that comics were just trash. And, and you know, like comics are generational; they're they're made for the people who are of a particular age. And you know, I was sort of mid twenties to thirty in the '90s, so okay, yeah. they weren't necessarily made for me anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and then the late '90s and the 2000s hit, and all of a sudden, Marvel really got their mojo back somehow. Um, after sort of doing just terrible copies of, of 
so either trying to be too mangary or too much like Image Comics, which is another comic company outside of the Marvel and DC. Yeah. Um, they finally sort of got their groove back and really started to do some quality stuff again. And then I incrementally got dragged back into it. And um, it's funny, I, I'm, I'm currently on the cusp of being a little bit out of it because I every time I pick up a comic, I'm like, I really want to like this but I don't. So I've gone from collecting maybe twenty dollars a month, twenty comics a month, to I think I'm collecting three or four at the moment, um, and only one of them is a mainstream comic company comic. Oh, okay. So you said that your first comic was Iron Man. Who would you say is the most prevalent character or franchise that you collect within? Um. It would either be, um, if we're talking a specific character, it would either be um, Captain America or the X-Men. Okay. Um, I, I, I love Captain America, always have. Um, and I was I was always sad because Stan Lee used to say that there's no way that there'd ever be a, a popular Captain America movie because throughout the world, nobody wants to watch a movie about captain america they want to watch other superheroes but to see something that's specifically american they don't necessarily watch yeah. um interesting that he was proven wrong while he was still alive um the tragedy is is that jack kirby who created captain america with joe simon wasn't alive to see it which is a bit of a bummer for but the the kirby family yeah um, so they know that their their father and grandfather's creation has become sort of loved worldwide did you um, like I, I tend to follow... version on in the movies as well I think Chris Evans is a great choice as Captain America. Like I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit of a, I like my superheroes to be super and heroic. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah, not a Punisher or a Venom sort of a guy. I want somebody who will stand up and, and like read the riot act against the bad guys for good reasons. So like, like the, not necessarily the power set, but certainly Captain America and Superman are like right up there for me because they're like they're there to stand up as a, a beacon of hope and all the rest of it. Um, I can do this all day. I, I like heroes are supposed to be heroic. <laughs> um, one of the things I know that you're a big Batman collector. And, and one of the things that I find disappointing more and more about Batman is they go down the path of him not being a hero. He's like, they lean more and more into the vigilante side of it. And it's like, mm. I'm not quite sure if that's where Batman would go because of his reasons for being, but you know, the demographic, the demographic of people wanting to see Batman beat the absolute crap out of people seems to be more than him actually being a detective and being a force of good. That's probably one of the things I liked about um, the new movie, which I don't, well, I think we, when we spoke last time, you hadn't had a chance to see it yet. And I think you're going to wait until it came out on streaming. Is that correct? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a, because I work in retail and I work five days a week, I'm sort of um, a little bit in opposition of risking myself for the um that awful c word that's hanging over our heads oh yes of course yeah yeah I, I completely get that the detective part um really comes out in this latest movie which is which is great and i i agree with you like i think there's definitely um while there was things i loved about the ben affleck version of batman on the screen like the you know for anyone who loves the, the arkham games you got that kind of action in the batman versus superman when they got that uh, warehouse scene where he goes in and just kicks the absolute crap out of out of uh, the bad guys in there that was a fantastic scene yeah but then you have 
like the Justice League uh, Batmobile with, you know, machine guns on, on it and things like that. And it's kind of like, yeah, that's not, that's not the classic version of Batman. Like he's, he's all about, he watched his parents shot down. He's not going to use a gun and go shoot other people down. He's like, he's trying to avoid that. And, and, you know, he's trying to be a beacon of hope for certain people while also striking fear into, you know, other, uh, you know, gangsters and whoever else um, throughout Gotham so that they don't, you know, go out and murder people. Um, for sure. Like, yeah. you couldn't find a, a character who's more anti-guns than what he is. Yeah. I can remember, I think in the mid-80s or maybe the late 80s, um, Alan Davis was drawing, I think it was Detective Comics, and I th I'm pretty sure it was Batman Year Two. Mm -hmm. And um, on the cover of one of those comics, it's got Batman with a, like with a, um, a shoulder holster and pointing a gun at you, the reader. And yeah. I remember seeing that and going, Batman with a gun? What? what in the hell? This is the weirdest thing ever. And then 20 years later, it's like, oh, yeah, I've got 30 machine guns in my tank car. Like, <laughs> mm, okay. We, we might have strayed away from the source material. But, you know, yeah. that, that's just it. The thing is with all of the movies is that they aren't, necessarily things that are pure they are based upon something okay going back to that that pure and going back to the comics um is that something that struck you as a kid reading them like was there a purity to these characters and you know like the fantasy aspect obviously where everyone as a kid wants to be a superhero or whatever when you're, you're role-playing as a child was there a purity in those stories that really brought you in and and, and hooked you hundred percent for, for me it was all about the heroicism of the character you know they, they talk about comics being being like a male fantasy but when they talk about that from a psychological point of view they tend to be more sort of talking about it from you know a, a sexual point of view um with the sexuality of the characters and all the rest yeah. of it but i find the male fantasy part of it being for, for me it was more how good would it be to be able to go out there and do something good for people Bring justice and have uh, and have people admire that good that you're doing? Mm -hmm. um, again, Captain America and Superman come to my forepoint because they're the, the front of my mind because they're the people who stand up there and, and are like, I'm here to help. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. And so it's funny that you, you talk about with Captain America and then you mentioned earlier about the sort of the horror or the monster versions of characters as well because a lot of those there's a purity to them as well i mean if you think back to even like the earliest it's not a comic but mary shelley's frankenstein i remember reading that when i was a young man um you know and that's that's like a classic story that about this monster who really just had this purity about him you know like he was he was an innocent um person in the story it's kind of it's a tragedy really uh, but is that another thing with those monsters characters that there's a purity to them as well? Like, is that, is that the element that drew you to those or was it a different element with those? So it's interesting with a lot of like, so if, if we look at the, the Marvel and DC monster comics and we look at stuff like adventure into fear and, and vault of horror and stuff like that, in general, they were tales of of revenge made to shock like twilight zone you know like oh, yeah. the, the whole lead up is for that last page that shocks you you know like there's a there's an artist and a writer a, a manga car at the moment named junji ito 
and like he basically does writes the same story and the last panel is the panel where you go oh my god what and marvel and dc comics that were horror comics were doing that exact same thing you know like it would work all the way up to like you know the man murders his wife and then he's racking his brains as to how he's going to ever get away with it and then she turns up as a zombie in the last panel <laughs> and like you can basically take that template and just transpose every single story over the top of it they were made to shock um and um yeah I, I agree there is a purity to them because they were they were innocent horror you know like it, it wasn't about a serial killer and it wasn't all of it wasn't sort of the stuff that we ended up seeing in movies a lot later that was that was certainly um you know like the horrors of nuclear power and here's this nuclear beast you know the, the hulk the yeah. hulk is a horror comic like yeah. the, the one thing that they keep doing wrong with the hulk in solo hulk movies for example is that they make him the hero Oh. The Hulk's a force of nature that's there to destroy things. See, I've and never read a Hulk as a movie, comic, so you, you, you're educating me here. <laughs> if if you took a movie like Twister and took the tornadoes out of it and changed that to Hulk, that would be the perfect Hulk movie. Oh. The Hulk goes in and beats the crap out of things and then disappears. And I, I think that that's a better. He's a monster hero. He's like he's no better than the Toxic Avenger. You know, like it was the whole thing. Um... I mean, with the Hulk, it's the whole hulking out. If, if I've got this right, my understanding of it through everything from a child watching Lou Ferrigno um, through to now what we see in the movies. As I said, I've never actually read a Hulk comic. The more he gets attacked, the more powerful he becomes almost, right? The stronger he gets, yeah. The stronger he gets. So I can only imagine that that just leads to more and more and more rampage and destruction. Yeah? Yeah. I, I think if I remember correctly, he, he even got bigger as he got angrier as well. Um, um like so there was a, and that was sort of an initial thing that they did um my, my my fun fact about the hulk is that in the original hulk comics he was actually gray oh and um yeah the first couple of issues of the hulk he was actually gray but the um the printing press couldn't do a consistent gray color so he was changing from page to page oh. so when they went to stanley and said this is a problem what will we do and stanley was just like just make him green i don't care no one's going to care about this character in three years time <laughs> just make him green and they just changed him to green with no explanation um, wow yeah and and yeah, now, pretty got better and that... so they, they went back and um changed it so he was gray in the 80s for a little while he was a he was a mobster hitman called mr fix it oh wow i mean that that actually makes me think of solomon grundy like when i think of a gray hulk like <laughs> like that that's what that makes me think of but i i mean now we've got him obviously in movie form uh there's a tv show coming out the she hulk tv um show as well which has yeah can't uh, wait for that i can't remember the name of the actress but she's wonderful from orphan black um yeah uh, so i'm really looking forward to that as well uh, but there's so much we're, we're kind of spoilt now with um, with comic book movies and comic book TV shows and all, all of that. Um, but going back to the actual comics themselves, um, you know, there were so many comic characters that have come out. You talked about the 90s being a time for you that you didn't really identify with that. Um, or, like, or didn't identify with those characters and, and what they represented maybe at that time. Uh, funnily enough, I was doing some research on comic books a bit, you know, trying to find a bit more of the history, you know, to maybe discuss with you here. And I, I noticed that uh, 1991's X-Men number one is apparently the highest selling comic of all time. Eight with yep, eight they, they printed a million copies of it. Yeah. 
but apparently it passed eight million as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it's, I mean, this, this was, this was a problem that, um, this was sort of the beginning of the, the image era. And this, this was sort of where I personally started to lose interest in, in comics. It was, um, um, again, I love the X-Men and yeah. Jim Lee's art. I thought back in those days was amazing. I don't think that now anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that he covers up a lot of anatomy problems with a lot of little tiny lines. Um, uh, so that's just uh, like he's very artist too though, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, John Byrne used to just not draw backgrounds so he could draw more comics. So, <laughs> and and Jack Kirby used to occasionally use photocopies of, um, like he'd photocopy photographs of planets and put them in the background of Fantastic Four comics and then just color them purple, just, <laughs> and just sort of that would that would be the background because it was better than just like painting it all black and drawing all of these planets. Like, okay. know, um, and it gave it like a kind of creepy, weird, and otherworldly look. So it was probably actually really smart. Yeah, the, the, the X-Men was sort of the beginning of turning, and, and it's a good thing. I, I, I shouldn't really say that it's a bad thing, but it went from, you know, Kirby and Steve Ditko and these guys, they never got credit for their work. Mm. That, that It took ages to get, um, for these guys to get credit for their work. And you even go back and look at like 2000 AD, the first sort of 20 or 30 issues of 2000 AD, none of the artists or writers had their credits on the comics because they were always afraid that these people would be stolen away by another comic company. So they, they stopped, they didn't, they never credited them, mm. um, which is horrible. And like not getting credit for an artistic endeavor is, is, is horrifying and unthinkable of in these days, you know, like, sorry, as a Batman fan, that makes me think of Bill Finger, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and and realistically, what one of the things that always cuts me about the about the um the Marvel movies is um is like Stan Lee is like most people think that Stan Lee created him by himself. Even down to an action figure that came out of Stan Lee, he comes with Captain America's shield, uh-huh. and he had nothing to do with the creation of Captain America. Um, Jack Kirby used to tell this really funny story where um. Uh, Stan Lee was, when he and Joe Simon had a comic studio and were creating Captain America, Stan was the nephew of the publisher and Stan was forced into their, like, we need Stan to do something. So he was like the sandwich and coffee boy for Simon and Kirby. Oh. And um, Stan always wanted to be a writer. So he was like, can I write something? And the story that he wrote for Captain America was so bad that they didn't even want to draw it. So in the first issue of Captain America, there's a whole lot of comics, but one text story by a very young Stan Lee because the guys didn't want to draw it because it was awful. <laughs> I think I have heard that uh, or something along those lines before, I think maybe watching a documentary about Stan Lee in the past. But, I mean, a lot yeah, of a really what good... he did has really been, you know, he became this figurehead for Marvel, obviously, and, you know, he, he, like he had charisma, right? So that's, he, yeah. he was great. In, in that regards that he was able to get out there and, and sort of, pub, you know, publicly put a face to comics um, kind of became like, in a way I felt like a little bit of the, uh, what's the playboy creator mental blanking. Hefner. Yeah. He fo- Hugh Hefner. Yeah. He kind of felt like the Hefner of comics, right? Like. Totally. Yeah. And, and you know what? Don't, don't get me wrong. It makes it sound like I'm Andy Stanley. I've got no, a statue of Stanley, like not a foot away from me. Yeah. Um, and I think that what he did was amazing. The best description that I ever heard of Lee and Kirby was Barry Windsor Smith in a documentary about um, about Jack Kirby said that they were the Lennon McCartney of comics. Oh. Um, one of them created brilliant things. Yeah. 
and the other one made it smooth. Ah. And Kirby was the one that created amazing stuff, and and um, Lee just was able to smooth it out and make it cool and make it work. And um, you know, there's you know, let, let's look in the history of music and the history of movies and all the rest of it. There's yeah. so often where there's two people that that do stuff that's amazing. And, and you know, none of the stuff that Kirby did solo was as big as any of the stuff he did with Stan Lee. Mm. Just the same as none of the stuff that Stan Lee did solo was as big as anything he did with Jack Kirby. Well, that makes a lot of sense when you put it into those, um, in, in Describe It There with, with Lennon and McCartney. I mean, I, I just not only recently watched the Get Back documentary and it's fantastic seeing the way they work together and just a complete different version of these people that you probably had in your mind, um, you know, growing up and listening to their music, you know, as these icons and Kirby and Stanley are both definitely icons. And yeah, definitely it, it there, there is this uh, creative push and pull that happens a lot of time with people. Uh, I think I may have mentioned on a previous episode of the podcast that I played music for years and I, I can completely identify with that from creating music and what it was like uh, playing with other musicians and there's a certain chemistry that you have with people and I think it, it's the same for all art right like there's a certain chemistry that you have if you're creating with people some people you get it and, and you, you lock in and you can do it and other people there's a push and pull sometimes that you can get fantastic things out of because they push you to do things that you're outside of your comfort zone and really make something even better uh, at the end you know because you can get pigeonholed and think oh something should be one way um, you know, but yeah. you, need, you need someone sometimes to, to come and, and tell you, no, this is it. Let's try it this way or something. I mean, Mike, Mike Patton, like, like using music again, Mike Patton from Faith No More. Yeah. He said that one of the reasons that the album, The Real Thing, was such an amazing album was because they all hated each other's guts and had different influences. <laughs> well, their guitarist they left after, together, the second, after Angel Dust, the, the, the album after that. Yeah, to become a pumpkin farmer. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like like they, they created this amazing thing, and it was because they they all had that different skill set that when it all when it all meshed together, it worked. And, and you're right, and and like it's even when people have solo venture ventures, you know, like I, I Twitch stream as a hobby, and um, my best nights are always when I have the best people chatting. So it's like, as far as I'm concerned, that's almost like a form of art, you know, like I'm, I'm presenting almost like stand up routines while I'm playing video games, yeah. and the reaction from the crowd like spurs me on to do more so it's it, it's it's more of that sort of stuff you know like but yeah yeah certainly certainly kirby's stuff when he was solo i mean the eternals the eternals is an amazing comic and it's got some really high concept stuff and when they decided to do an eternals movie they had to change it because it was so high concept that they didn't even think today that people would get it <laughs> the strange probably had a similar thing going i imagine as well right yeah, I mean, I think Doctor Strange is a lot more layered now. Like he's had, this is just it with the movies, for example, is that there's, you know, Doctor Strange has 50 years of history now. So he's got a lot more layers when he than when he was just like a magician. Yeah. You know, like the early Doctor Strange stuff, it was just like, yeah, he'd travel through time and he'd fight these alien beasties. But he really was just like, he was like those monster comics we talked about early, but we had a regular hero who would fight against the monsters that were trying to invade or take over like Dormammu and all of these guys. Okay. Look, the twenty thousand comics. Let's go back to that. How, <laughs> how how do you store these? Like, if you can give anyone tips, 
like that are collecting comics because obviously we could speak for hours and go on about Kirby and, and and the art and the stories and everything as well. But from a collecting point, um, with all these, how do you store them? What what sort of advice can you give to people when you're trying to collect that many? But the best advice I can give to anybody who's got twenty thousand comic or, or who has a a large comic collection mm-hmm. is stop collecting soon. Um, okay. <laughs> it becomes it, <laughs> um, it, it is it is ungainly. Whenever we move house, it's like the first thing that I have to consider, um, and it's a pain in the butt. Don't get me wrong; I, I love my comics, but um, obviously, you still got. I them, have. Right? So, I, I'm sort of sitting in the office that I'm in right now. I have a bookcase to the left of me that has, I don't know, maybe 200 graphic novels in in it. Um, behind me, I have a bookcase that has a whole pile of Marvel omnibuses and stuff yeah, I like can that. See that. Yeah. Um, but but downstairs in, uh, like I've got a storage unit. I have um, so you can buy. Uh, um, they're they're actually hanging file, uh, plastic boxes. Okay. So, so not like a long box, your, or is it? Uh, so it's a it's a plastic box that I, I get mine from. Howard Storage or something like that. Not to advertise Howard Storage, but yeah, if if, if you are going to get a sponsorship from Howard Storage, <laughs> I need more of those boxes. Howard Storage. Fair um, enough. Fair I've enough. I'd probably I'd there. probably try and get a sponsorship from IKEA if I did because I think the things like the um, Billy bookcases <laughs> and stuff are one of those things that I need more Calaxes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I get board games, <laughs> so I need more Calaxes all day, every day. Um, but yeah, um, so I, I use those um, plastic boxes because like. I, I have my stuff stored in a place that's not necessarily good for things made of paper. Uh, okay. okay. Um, so I've got I've got these things in boxes that clip shut, and I've actually gotten little thin. You can buy from Bunnings like thin pieces of foam that have um, sticky backed, and they're made for like doors and stuff like that. So when the doors yep. slam, they don't make a banging noise. Yeah. And I actually have stuck those inside the lid, so when I clip it shut, it actually creates a seal as well. Um, and then I've got about 30 closet camels down there to absorb any moisture. <laughs> Speaking of doors, I don't know if you can hear that background. I do apologize if there's any extra noise, um, but then my door's rattling. A storm seems to have just come over and the, the wind and rain's just hit outside. So Rain is what we do best in Sydney at the moment, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, for, for the listeners, Justin and I, as I mentioned, we, we've met in person. We actually live not too far from each other. Um, so this storm might be hitting you soon as well. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, that's a good tip, you know, for people, obviously you've got to be careful. Like, I mean, if you're going to be storing these things, you've got to try and keep them dry and keep them, keep them safe. Um, but you also mentioned, cause the Kallax we'll, we'll, we'll go to the other parts of your collection because you're not just like, you are a multiple, type of collector you have records uh and I'm a, I'm also a, games right like board games i'm a multi-collector yeah. yeah so um one of the one of the my favorite things that i've ever heard is that collecting is hoarding with a purpose <laughs> um and and if we want to talk about people who hoard with a purpose i will yeah. put my hand up okay. um yeah so in addition to my twenty thousand comics i have 510 board games um, i have almost 1500 vinyl records i have about 4000 horror movies on blu-ray 4k and dvd what other um oh um statues so like uh, 
like I said, I've got a Stanley statue here close to me. I've got about 200 statues and about 80 of those are just Harley Quinns. Um, nice. And those I've been collecting since the early 90s. So, and again, it's not something that... Just got a new Harley Quinn um, statue myself, actually. I got uh, one of the fashioned off the Paul Dini um, version, so the actual animated Harley. Uh, I'll, I'll just get it down so I can show pro you. Pro you mean proper Harley? Is that what you mean? Yes. Yes, yes, sorry. Uh, so people obviously can't see this when they're, but they can, can see this. So it's the classic, yeah, it's the classic That's original Harley. Um, this is an amazing statue that I got uh, when they had a sale at Pop Culture. Um, obviously not trying. But we're, we're, all these companies, I, I might get like multiple sponsorships <laughs> out of this, you know. Give us a deal, give us a deal. <laughs> give us a deal, please, please. Just give me some money or send me free stuff. Just send me free stuff. <laughs> That's I'll cute. Take yeah, more yeah, my, my, um, because I, I, I get my very first statue I ever get was about 19. So when, when Image started in the early 90s, um, Dark Horse also tried to do something similar and they did a thing called the Legend Series. And um, they got people who were working for other comic companies to come up, not with a cohesive universe like Image did. They yeah. just sort of told them all to come up with their own ideas and they did a little crossover here and there. And so Adam Hughes did something called The Ghost. Um, Mike Mignola created a thing that you might have heard of called Hellboy. Yeah. Um, John Byrne did um, The Next Men. Um, and a guy named Mike Allred, who is very much an artist influenced by sort of 50s comic art and a little bit of a little bit of Archie as well, like Dan DiCarlo style Archie art. Um, he created a thing called Madman. And the first um, statue that I've bought that I've still got is a cold cast porcelain statue of Madman. And uh, I just went from there. I, I, so before Hot Toys became a thing, I, I've bought, um, I've got various monsters from um, Sideshow Toys. I've got, um, yes, so much crap. Even Funko Pops, like, like, like Funko Pops that I'm, I'm, I don't dislike, um, but I'm not a collector of them. I won't, I don't like go, I'm going to buy every single thing of this. Like, like, like well, you yeah. buy every single thing that's Batman. Yeah. Um, I buy ones that I think, oh, that's cute. I'll buy that. Yeah, that's um, fair. And I've ended up with 200 pops. <laughs> that's the thing. Um, I, like, I started with buying, like, a, you know, I was like, when I started buying pop vinyls, I was like, uh, you know what? I could just get a few different pop vinyls and, like, my favorite versions of Batman. And then I was like, oh, well, I've got all these ones. Maybe I'll get that one. And then, oh, I'll get that one. Oh, actually, that one looks pretty cool as well. And then next thing you know. Plastic like, crack. That's yes, what it exactly. is. It's heroin crack. in a box. <laughs> I think there's actually a documentary called Plastic Crack or something along those lines as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, just amazing how many of them they bring out. And I can, I can completely see that. I also have... Uh, you can see in the background from me, I've got Mandalorian, I've got Gizmo from Gremlins, so many different parts of pop culture that I'm like, if if I collect everyone in Star Wars, I'll be here forever. If I collect every Batman, I'm going to run out of space. Even though I've got a good chunk of the Batmans, I don't know if I'll ever be a completionist as far as that's concerned. Yeah. And you... Uh, the, the only two sets that I... The only two sets that I have all of is the Queen's Gambit, because I really, really like Anya Taylor Joy, and I'm a huge fan of Walter Tevis, the the author. Yeah. And so when that that was supposed to be a movie, that's been like in like 
um, box office hell for like seven years. It was a great and they finally decided, ah, screw it, let's make a TV series out of it. Yeah. So when that came out, I was like, have a Walter Tevis character as a Funko Pop? Yes, thank you. Um, and the other one that I've got the full set of is I Zombie, and it's completely by accident. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> I was given two, I bought one. I found out that there was only one left in the set and came across it when I was like way out west at a Zing or an EB Games. I walked in and went, that's the one I'm missing. And all of a sudden I've got all four of those. But everything else I've got, everything else I've got is cherry picked. It's there, there's something will, something will cross my path and I'll go, that's cute. Like at the moment, right now, I have a Fortnite action figure sitting on my desk. Yeah, for no reason other than it was that was a cool figure. <laughs> yeah, Oz Zombie was also a comic series like, that that like a uh, graphic novel. A Mike that? Allred comic series, funnily yeah. enough. Yeah, the guy who created Mad Men. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, because I I knew I knew that when I watched the TV show that it, it had come from that. I didn't. Know the the TV show is a lot different. The the um the comic was a lot more supernatural, whereas the TV series was like Veronica Mars, but Veronica was dead. Okay. Um, the 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 comic had things like there was mean girls at high school who they found out were vampires and then there was like the cool kid at school was a werewolf and there was a bunch of um frankenstein golem type boys who were who were after and stuff like that, that so sounds it was like very much a different could have been creature. an archie crossover almost like from some totally yeah yeah it, it's almost like um what were they called the groovy ghoulies yeah, yeah okay <laughs> I've never heard of the Ruby Gullies, but is like is that part of Archie's or a part of Sabrina? Yeah, a part of Sabrina. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, look, there's so many comic series that are now being made in TV shows and movies. It's it's hard to keep up with all the authors and and collect them all. And exactly like going back to your collection, there's so many things you can collect, and it's so easy to come up with. 200 pop vinyls accidentally essentially uh because you're just like oh i love that i'll get that oh, i love that i'll get that you know but i won't get the whole set but i'll just get that um yeah and then next thing you know yeah you've got 200 pop vinyls but you're like so you've got twenty thousand comics you've got 500 games you've got uh how many uh 1500 vinyls like vinyl records vinyl about record. four thousand horror movies Four thousand horror. Um, movies. i should point out that the the most important part of is my there... collection is a patient wife. Yes, I was about to actually ask that. <laughs> you, you got ahead of me. So your wife obviously, like, you know, says, you know, you've got your collection. Do you have a certain amount of space? She's like, that's your space. You keep your things in there. And this is my space. You keep your things out of here. How does that work? So um, in, in the office that I'm in right now, uh, she's working from home now. And so she has her area. And th th this is the irony of it all: is that she's a minimalist. <laughs> she would she would live in a white concrete box with just white furniture and nothing else if she could. Whereas I've got, like I said, there's comics here, there's comics there, there's board games here. I've got two screens here because I've got my Mac, and then I've got all my streaming gear here. I've got on the wall. I've got one, two, three, four, five six sets of headphones that hang on the wall here i've got a skateboard on the wall i've got an original tron poster on the wall like like my part of the office is chaos and she's got this corner that's perfect uh, essentially the essentially the rule is it doesn't get to the bedroom okay fair enough yeah so the, the bedroom is the and or or outside that's the sacred um, the interesting thing is what she doesn't know is my bedside table's full of horror movie magazines <laughs> um and and outside a very kind 
a very kind customer of mine who's a Star Wars collector and a fiberglasser. Um, he made me for Christmas a couple of years ago a Yoda in carbonite. So he's only made like three of these things. He's got one himself and he wow. gave me one. And so I've got that outside, sort of in, in the outside area where nothing's supposed to go. This just like this single Yoda <laughs> sort of frozen in carbonite. It's, um, she seems to not mind that because it's grey and it sort of disappears into the... Into oh, okay. The yeah, fair enough. It's kind of like a visual white noise that she can sort of... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, as you said, going back to the collection, like the, the, the funny thing is about, about all the movies and all of the stuff that... Like, we collectors are so lucky right now, like... Um, yeah. for, for a couple of different reasons. There's so many there's so many people who are into it. Like I, I can't tell you if I if I went back in time and told sixteen year old me that one day that the St. George Dragons would be wearing Iron Man um jerseys on the field. Yeah. Sixteen year old me would probably hit me with something. And for anyone like, looking was, outside of was... Australia, St. George Dragons are a rugby um uh, Oh yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Team. Like yeah. It, it was it was a dirty secret. Like there yeah. there, were, there was not much less that I could be than to be a comic collector as a 16 year old. Yeah. Um, I went out with a girl for th for five years in high school and she didn't find out I collected comics for two years into that relationship. <laughs> well, actually that's funny. Like I, I, we've kind of, you know, that's that old, uh, <laughs> saying the meek shall inherit the earth. It's like the geeks have now inherited like the <laughs> earth in terms of pop culture and, and everything that's coming out. And, that even just that term itself geek if i'd have been called a geek or a nerd in school which i'm sure i was at some point you know um with my love for batman and other things it was it, it was a derogatory term now it's like we've taken power in that like it's like geek culture is something that's fun yeah. there's this massive amazing community and people feel empowered now to share their fandom and and really you know let their geek flag fly uh, geek flag well, fly like <laughs> I've, I've always found it funny that like that that sports people would, would always people who were fans of sports would always frown upon the um upon those who like you know might get up get dressed up in a batman costume and go to a comic convention and then on a saturday <laughs> no, night you'd see them going. in their team jersey with face paint on <laughs> yes. a bright green wig and it's like <laughs> hang on you're you know we, we we dress up in our tribes this is what this is all about like yeah. big culture is all about those of us who didn't have a tribe like I had friends as a kid, but we were we were all the dweebs, and like like we were all different types of dweebs. We weren't all comic collectors. We were like yeah. one guy had the computer, and one guy did this, and one guy did that. But we got together because we were like the, you know, the Revenge of the Nerds movie is so true. You know, like it's the guy that plays violin, the guy that likes computers, and the yeah. Yeah. the guy that's good at maths. We were the same. We were the we were we weren't sporty, we weren't smart, we weren't that. So we just sort of got clumped together. We were the remains. And those remains now have become a tribe. And, and that's, that's like you said, it's really empowering that these people now, it's like, you know, they, they have worked out that, yeah, hang on, we're not, we're, we're not, not a part of everything else. Yeah. We're a part of something that's potentially bigger than all of that. I think we could probably thank the internet really for a lot of that. I think. Hell like, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely. Um, I think that's probably a good place to wrap this up really like, you know, on that note, fandom and like, this is one of the reasons I created this podcast is because uh, as a collector myself and a lover of all these different parts of pop culture, I just wanted to be able to, 
connect with other people within the community with other pop culture collectors um you know and sharing that love and and that's why i think you know it's amazing that i can have these conversations with people like yourself so thank you very much for being on the podcast just before we go where can people follow you if they want to like you mentioned your twitch streams and things like that uh where can people follow you if they want to come and and find justin um yeah let them know yeah cool so on um on I'm, I'm basically germ 69 everywhere. J U R M 69. Um, 69. Cause it was the year I was born. You dirty people. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's for no other reason. Um, so, so yeah. So on Twitch, I'm germ 69 on Twitter and Instagram germ 69. So yeah, please. If, if you want to see somebody, somebody old play video games badly, I'm the person that you need to be following on Twitch. Well, I love your energy and I think people should go and check it out um, and should also follow you. Uh, you also had your own podcast as well. Yeah, about so COVID killed our podcast, unfortunately. Um, but if people want to listen Nerds to that, of Oz. Nerds of Oz, yep. Nerds of Oz, yeah. So we did it for about two years. I think there's maybe 30 or 30 episodes or so when it was like a, a combination of we'd pick a movie and dissect it. Um, we'd talk about toys that we'd bought. We did sort of Christmas guides as to cool stuff that you could buy your, you know, I think we, I think we called it things to buy your nerd for Christmas. I even did one, I did one episode from PAX in 2019. Um, and I had like a, a cosplayer, a, um, a guy who was, uh, almost professional Warhammer player, um, on the podcast and that I had a, a guy who was number 61 on the planet, um, for Pokemon playing. Um, oh. who went to like the, yeah, went to the Washington nationals and all the rest of it. So, uh, internationals, I should say. So yeah, um, nodes of they're, they're still around there. You'll find it on your, your local podcasting. It's essentially three very drunk people talking loudly and swearing about comics and comic <laughs> movies that look, I mean, listen, depending on who's listening, it may be exactly what they need to go listen to after this as well. Uh, I think the biggest, biggest listener we've got is actually one of the guys who was on a chain. I think every time I see him. He'll, he'll tap his headphones and go, I'm listening to us. And it's like, Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure to link it um, in the description for people so that they can check it out as well if they want to go cool, and, and have a listen to that. Um, and also I'll make sure to let you, um, link your Twitch stream as well. So cool, thank uh, you. once again, thank you. I mean, we've, we've spoken forever. Um, it feels not like forever. But I know we've been speaking for a while and um, we could speak forever in terms of comics and, and our love for them. But thank you very much for being on the show and enjoy the rest of your night. To people listening, thank you very much for spending the time listening to us talk and geek out as well. Thank you very much and have My a great pleasure. night. Thank you. Cheers. If you like the episode, please consider following or subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also join me on Instagram at Heroes, where you can see photos of the collections of the people that I'm talking to some of my own.